This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. She's all you'd ever want She's the kind I'd like to flaunt And take to dinner But she always knows her place She's got style, she's got grace She's a winner She's a lady Oh, 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 she's a lady Talking about that little lady And the lady is mine Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. You are listening to your favorite health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am your host, Dr. Carissa, and happy to be here. Hope you all are having a great morning this morning. So we have a a lot to talk about today because things have been happening in the news as they usually are. Uh, And so we're going to go through our opening really, really quickly. So shout out as we always do we shout out our listeners because I am humbled and honored that you would allow me to invade your eardrums for this hour and that you listen to me and and want to know what what we're going to be talking about and I appreciate that and so shout out shout out to my number one fan hey mom hope you are having a terrific morning this morning shout out to family in norfolk virginia virginia beach virginia houston texas fort campbell kentucky charlotte north carolina ladson south carolina macon georgia pensacola florida center alabama chesapeake virginia seattle washington washington dc centerville virginia columbia south carolina phoenix arizona san antonio texas fayetteville north carolina opelika alabama Lusby, Maryland, Newport News, Virginia, Temecula, California, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, College Park, Georgia, Hobbs, New Mexico, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Oxford, North Carolina, Woodbridge, Virginia, Gadsden, Alabama, Hampton, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Memphis, Tennessee, Fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, Baltimore, Maryland, Belize City, Belize, Greenwood, Mississippi, and New City joining our family this week, Albany, Georgia. Now, Albany. It's spelled A-L-B-A-N-Y. And a lot of people who are not from here or don't live here will pronounce it Albany. But I have, and I did that when I first moved here, and I was quickly corrected that that is not how it is pronounced. So welcome, Albany, Georgia, to our little family here. All righty. In news you need to know, and this has to do with our topic today and how I chose our topic when we're talking about just kind of doing a primer on women's health and um, and talking about reproductive rights and reproductive justice. So the Supreme Court and abortion access is a hot topic in the news this week. So a leaked document published on Monday revealed the opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito, essentially claiming that there is no constitutional right to abortion. 
Now, should this be the high court's final decision, uh, because of course there is a more conservative lean uh, to the Supreme Court now with five conservative justices to the four uh, progressive ones, the federal right to safe legal abortion would end sending the decisions back to each individual state to legislate as to whether um, it is legal or not legal. And we're going to talk about about that a little bit more in just a second. The COVID vaccine is poised to be approved in the under five years of age group. Um, But according to reports, um, you know, many parents that have been polled, uh, 27 percent are definitely not letting their children be vaccinated. Uh, 11% says that they would only do so if they were mandated by the school board. And 18% uh, plan to vaccinate their children just right out, right off the bat. They're just going to do it. Um, and so that leaves almost half of parents surveyed uh, saying that they're going to take a wait and see approach, right? So those are the two hot topics in you need to know in your medical health and wellness news. Um, today. This segment has been brought to you by Freeman Moore Medical Consultants, your premier disability application consultant service. You may reach them at www.freemanmoremedical.com. So I'm going to take very limited breaks today because I am afraid that we may run out of time um, in discussing this very complex uh, topic. So here we go. So I may take a commercial as I need to. So talking about women's health. So uh, women's health, or rather women's health rights, have been on the forefront um, for many, many years. And usually you see these um, these emotional type topics uh, come up during election year, right? Um, so you'll see during an election year, you know, abortion will be a topic of conversation. Gay rights um, will be a topic of conversation. Um, And, you know, the politicians will trot out whatever their opinions are on both sides, excuse me, and, you know, will encourage voters to support their point of view at the polls. And this election year is no different. So, you know, before this, we have seen, uh, you know, down in Florida, our neighbors, our southern neighbors uh, here from in Georgia, um, you know, the don't say gay bill and all of the things that have uh, come into play with that. So, you know, the whole issue with Disney and and, you know, all of that and what you can and cannot teach children in school um, about um, about um, being gay and gay rights and such things, you know, that you can't mention it, mention it, excuse me. Um, And so this week it's abortion. Um, You know, as I mentioned earlier, um, that opinion um, from uh, Justice Alito uh, has come out. And, you know, if that is um, approved, um, then that would be, you know, a strike down of Roe versus Wade, which was a precedent setting uh, legislation from 1973, uh, which allowed uh, federal protection uh, for abortion and also supported the woman's right to choose uh, whether to continue or to end uh, or terminate a pregnancy. But before we get into that, uh, let's talk about some other issues that women need to be um, aware of and concerned about. So 
someone asked me, what are the top 10 health concerns um, that women should be concerned about? Okay, so here we go. Number one, of course, heart disease, um, because heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States, accounting for about 29% of all deaths in women. Uh, and the real concern is not just in the death, because, of course, that is a major thing that would happen as a result of any disease process. But the, you know, so there's death, but then there's also taking a step back from the, that most extreme um, outcome when we talk about premature death and disability. And the disability piece is really, um, you know, really what what we um need to focus on as well um, because as I have said before with these chronic illnesses that are um, you know that are very very serious you know of course it would be unfortunate if you died from any of these processes right you know of course nobody wants that um, but of course you know the thing would be if you don't die but are severely disabled and all of the impact that that would have um, on our, on, on your life and on your family's life, right? Um, and so, you know, I'll remind you um, a couple of shows back, we had our good friend, Dr. Catherine Toomer on, who was sharing her experience with uh, surviving and living and thriving, actually, with heart disease. And you remember in her story um, that her heart disease developed after, shortly after she gave birth. So she was a young woman, uh, you know, who was highly functional within her life. You know, she was a physician and a wife and had been a mom before she had a child already. And now here she was having this serious health issue, um, you know, shortly following her pregnancy. And so, you know, you think about the possible outcomes in that situation um, where, you know, she could have been severely disabled. And so, you know, as a mother and as a caretaker of your family, um, when you are not able, how how does your family get on, right? Um, and so that becomes, that becomes a very, very serious issue. Um, and so as we know, heart disease causes impairment that can be devastating on many, many levels within the family structure, including but not limited to the finances. So, you know, if you are a part of the household that works and brings in income and all of a sudden you have heart disease um, that is so debilitating to the point that you cannot work, that income um, becomes jeopardized. Right. Um, or if you are so debilitated that you cannot participate uh, in the functions of your family as you did before and someone else has to do that. So that's an impact as well. Um, the danger and why we talk about heart disease in women so much um, is that women tend to be underdiagnosed simply because sometimes the symptoms of heart disease uh, in women go unrecognized. Right. So, you know, we talk about and by we, I mean, the medical community and the media and such things, you know, whenever you see someone on these shows or whatever, whenever you see someone having a heart attack, they're clutching their chest, they're complaining of chest pain, they may be sweating. Right. And those are typical symptoms for men. Women tend to present with heart disease in very, very vague, um, in very, very vague ways sometimes. Now, of course, anybody, everybody can have chest pain. Um, but they have what we call atypical symptoms. And these symptoms, you know, are very, very, um, very, very fluid, uh, can be attributed to other things. 
Um, and so, you know, you really have to pay attention to your body, you know, you as a patient, but also, you know, speaking from my side of, of things as a, as a medical um practitioner that we have to you know be on the lookout we have to have our antenna up at all times uh, for these vague symptoms and so these symptoms can be very easily dismissed um, by the patients themselves so I'll give you one um, you know fatigue I don't know a woman that's not tired right but all of us don't have heart disease um, you know because of all of the things that we do all of the roles that we play um, you know in our lives that we can just be tired sometimes and be tired for a, a, a longer period of time and think nothing of it. But all the while, it's your heart telling you that something is wrong. So, you know, we have to be, you know, on high alert for that. So, ladies, watch out, of course, for the typical symptoms of heart disease, chest pain, shortness of breath, sweating, but also pay attention to the atypical symptoms. And I'll just name a few, you know, weakness, fatigue, uh, nausea and vomiting, indigestion, um, you know, those may be signs of heart disease in you. So if these things are persistent, you know, don't just continue to just brush it off and ignore it. Uh, you know, make sure you bring that to someone's attention and really, really strongly advocate for yourself because it's very easy to, um, you know, to, to diagnose, you know, there's EKG and lab work and such things. So, you know, it isn't, um, it isn't burdensome to have this evaluation done. Uh, next, we'll talk about breast cancer. So breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. Um, and luckily, breast cancer is not the death sentence that it once was. Um, but there is still a, a lingering fear of being diagnosed with cancer. I mean, you know, that's almost like the worst thing that, that you know, someone could tell you. And whenever I have to tell a patient that they have cancer, you know, it always gives me pause, you know, and I always have to sit and think about how I approach this conversation, um, you know, because that is, is really, really lowering the boom on someone, right? And that fear of being diagnosed still keeps women uh, from obtaining screening mammograms. Um, now, of course, you know, if you are of a certain age, you want to have your screening mammogram done, but also with your family history. So if you are uh, 10 years uh, removed from your primary case, so for example, if your mother developed breast cancer at 40, then you would start your screenings at 30. Um, you know, so that's kind of how it works. And so, of course, you want to discuss your family history um, with your primary care provider and make sure that you get the screening that is appropriate for you at the time that is appropriate for you to begin. But risk factors for breast cancer, increasing age, um, of course, they're genetic factors, uh, your family history, a personal history of the disease. And when they when they write that, what they mean is if you've had breast cancer in one breast, then, of course, you're at increased risk for it to happen in the other breast. Um, and so, you know, beating it on on one side doesn't necessarily mean that it won't ever come back for you, unfortunately. Um, your race plays a part, whereas white women have an increased risk of getting the disease. Um, black women have an increased risk of dying from it. Uh, obesity, uh, excessive alcohol use, and uh, certain medications uh, may put you at risk for breast cancer. Uh, when we talk about osteoporosis, so what is that? We don't talk about this one nearly enough. Um, it is a condition in which the bones become brittle and weak, leading to fractures and, in some cases, chronic pain. 
Um, osteoporosis threatens 44 million Americans. 68% of those are women. So men do get osteoporosis as well. So what that is, you know, like I said, it is a condition of your bone. Uh, and our bodies build up bone mass from when we are born all the way up until about age 30 or so. We are building new bone. Around about age 30 or so, um, the shift changes so we aren't building as much new bone and the focus needs to, um, needs to switch to preservation and maintenance of old bone. And so, of course, when you have osteoporosis, that bone breaks down. And so you may see uh, some women who were once, you know, able to stand erect. and Now they have a hunchback um, or they may have chronic back pain. Um, you know, they fall and, you know, what seems to be like a very light fall or minor fall results in, you know, major fractures and, and such things um, as a result of those bones being weak. But there are things that we can do uh, to protect ourselves from osteoporosis. Um, you know, uh, weight-bearing exercises are, are one. And then, of course, your diet um, with, if you have a diet that is rich in calcium and vitamin D um, because those substances are optimal for good bone health. Now, risk factors for osteoporosis, female sex, increased age, if you are a small, thin-boned, framed woman, uh, your ethnicity, uh, white women and Asian women are at greatest risk for developing this disease, but of course it happens in other races as well. A family history of osteoporosis, uh, if you are taking uh, hormone replacement, uh, that may put you at risk. Uh, anorexia, a diet that is low in calcium and vitamin D. Uh, chronic steroid use uh, can uh, erode your, your bone density as well. A sedentary lifestyle. Uh, and then, of course, smoking, which smoking is just... Like I, I've said this before, smoking is just the worst because it, it just can can just wreak havoc there. Um, you know, of course, and so the next we move into the mental health aspect. And, you know, I'm just going to focus on just one thing with mental health, but depression. So depression affects women more so often or more often, I should say, than men. 12 million in the United States, 12 million women are affected with depression each year. Uh, risk factors for depression, hormonal changes, uh, family history, a history of heart disease, uh, a history of a serious chronic disease, marital problems, substance abuse, stressful life events, uh, vitamin deficiencies, thyroid disease, uh, childhood trauma, um, be that physical and or sexual abuse or just trauma, you know, bad accidents, that kind of thing. Uh, eating disorders and anxiety uh, put you at risk for developing uh, depression. Uh, next, women need to know about autoimmune diseases. So the immune system, and we talked about allergies and how the allergic reactions in the body worked. We talked about that a couple shows ago. But in an autoimmune, um, auto meaning self, um, the immune system attacks itself um, and attacks the body and destroys um, or alters tissue. And for a lot of autoimmune diseases, we don't know what the trigger is, right? like why all of a sudden the, auto, the immune system decided to just uh, go rogue and, and do what it does. 
there are classified um, 80 serious chronic illnesses, but just to name a few, um, because even though you may think you don't know a lot about autoimmune disease, you do know or have heard of these diseases, or you may even know someone um, who suffers with one of these diseases. So I'll give you the big three, uh, lupus, is an autoimmune disease. Multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease. And diabetes type one. And we'll do a show in our next season where we talk about the different types of diabetes and, and what that means. But the type one, which usually is um, associated with youth, with childhood, um, is an autoimmune disease as well. The symptoms of autoimmune diseases are vague and sometimes very progressive. Um, there is no t routine screening exam for such, um, but the examinations and the lab work that goes into that workup are usually done as part of a focused effort um, to diagnose, you know, after you've had some symptoms um, that have presented themselves. So it is not like, you know, you get your cholesterol as a part of a screening or you get your blood sugar checked as a part of a screening, those routine screening exams uh, don't exist um, as of yet or are not recommended um, as a part of, of good health. And maybe they should be. I don't know. Um, stroke is an interruption of blood flow to the brain. Uh, the symptoms may be varied. Um, and again, you know, we are planning a, a show on stroke in our next season. Uh, risk factors, hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, and pregnancy. Um, because pregnancy um, becomes what we call a hypercoagulable state, meaning that you are, when you are pregnant, you are prone to developing blood clots. Um, and blood clots including the DVT or deep vein thrombosis, uh, pulmonary embolism, and then embolic stroke where a piece of tissue uh, travels to the blood vessels of the brain and interrupts that blood flow and damages that tissue. Diabetes, which is an abnormality in the regulation of blood sugar. Uh, it increases your risk for heart disease by four times in women. Uh, and there's a risk of, um, there's increased risk of diabetes related complications um, such as blindness, kidney disease, and depression, which we mentioned earlier. The eighth thing as a woman that you need to be concerned about, and I hope I am not overburdening my sisters out there and making them really, really worry, but I want you to be well informed and well armed about what you should do to keep yourself healthy. Uh, Alzheimer's disease. It is a form of brain degeneration where tangles and plaques uh, form in the brain and lead to the destruction of healthy brain cells. About 5 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease uh, at current, and two-thirds of those are women. And there's some theory as to why women are more affected by Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, overwhelmingly more so than men. And one of the theories is that women live longer, and we know that Alzheimer's disease usually um, is a disease of advanced age. So if you have more women who are living longer, you may see a greater incidence of Alzheimer's disease. But of course, research is ongoing as to why this disease even happens to begin with uh, and, you know, medications to help with, with the, the symptoms of that disease. Um, I believe there's a new medication that has come out recently um, that is, is promising with, you know, helping to uh, slow down the progression of this horrible, horrible disease. 
Of course, women need to be concerned about their sexual health. There are more than 30 types of sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and the nomenclature has changed. We used to call them STDs, and now we call them STIs, sexually transmitted infections. And, you know, with several of these uh, infections, there is a increased risk of cervical cancer. Um, and so, you know, and again, cervical cancer is not, um, you know, that is one that we, we do screen for. Um, and so, you know, if you have had um, sexually transmitted infections, that increases your risk for developing cervical cancer. Pregnancy. So now this is a whole topic in and of itself because the women are the ones that get pregnant and there are, um, there are issues surrounding pregnancy um, that women who are of reproductive age need to know about. But I'm going to save that one for a later topic as well, how to have a safe pregnancy, talking about um, maternal morbidity, you know, why women are dying this day and age um, in childbirth or around the childbirth period um, and, and all of the implications of that. But for now, I am going to take a brief break. But before I go, let me tell you about our new sponsor, the Buckhead Injury Wellness Institute, uh, located in the heart of Atlanta. They are a premier pain management uh, practice located in Buckhead, as stated in the name. And they can be reached at 5825 Glen Ridge Drive here in Atlanta. They are accepting new patients by appointment only and can be reached at 404-537-3452. You can also find them on the web at www.buckheadinjurywellnessinstitute.com. We'll be right back after a brief break. Just for Pets Wellness Center reminds old-fashioned health listeners and pet owners to never leave pets unattended inside a parked vehicle, not even for a quick errand. Temperatures can rise to dangerous levels fast. Visit our website for more information at www.just4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. Hi there, healthy people. Do you have a healthy product or service? If you are a certified medical professional, fitness trainer, author, or chef, Old Fashioned Health would love to promote your services or product on the Old Fashioned Health radio show. Please reach out to us. Call 404-793-3960 or email us at oldfashionedhealth at gmail.com. You can also contact us at oldfashionedhealth.com. Old Fashioned Health, good health inside and out. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening. If you're just tuning in, you are listening live to your favorite health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And I am your willing and capable host, Dr. Carissa. Welcome. So before I talk about the next topic um, here, I just want to say if you are listening with your children, we're going to talk about something that is sensitive. Um, and so if you are listening with your children and you are not 
ready to have that conversation with them, I suggest you, I I normally would never tell you to stop listening to me. But in this instance, I am going to give you that little bit of parental advice that this, these conversations that we're about to have may not be suitable for your little ones. So now that I've got that disclaimer out of the way, here we go. So as I stated at the top of the show, um, you know, there are things that are happening at the level of the Supreme Court in terms of overturning Roe versus Wade uh, and limiting or restricting federal protection for um, abortion. And, you know, that there is that is a heated topic, has been a heated topic, heated topic, um, you know, almost since it was decided. Right. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, reproductive rights and reproductive justice. Uh, And so when we talk about reproductive justice, when you hear that term, what does that really mean? Right. Um, And what it is, is a concept that a woman's reproductive rights and the decisions that she makes around her reproduction should be federally protected. It is a right for her to decide what she wishes to do um, with her with her body and, and with a pregnancy in this case. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, the federally protected right to safe and legal abortion has been under attack for decades now. Um, ever since Roe versus Wade was decided in January of 1973, so almost 50 years now, um, this case has been, you know, a hotbed. Um, you know, there are many voices on both sides of that argument. And so, you know, let me just pause here to say that I am not trying to convince you to be either for or against abortion um, because everyone has an entitlement to their opinion and you know you have the right to feel how you want to feel about this and any other issue but what I would like to do what my goal here is to share with you why I think me personally and professionally um, think that it should be a protected entity okay because that's really what's what's at the heart of this So, um, you know, there was this leaked document, uh, Justice Alito um, has written an opinion, um, and this document was leaked, and it exposed um, a possible reversal of the constitutional protections um, of uh, abortion, of the procedure. Uh, And if it is not protected by the Constitution, then it would be kicked down to the state level and each individual state's legislature would decide as to whether or not um, abortion is legal in that state. So why is it problematic to just let states decide what they want to do or what they don't want to do for their citizenry? So firstly, it would really depend upon where you live and which political party controls the legislative branch in that state. So essentially, every time there is a power change from either a Republican-controlled or a Democratic-controlled or vice versa, um, the law could change. So every you know two to four years, you could have um, you know abortion rights in this state, and then two years later, not have it. 
right? Um, and, you know, we are talking about the health of women as it pertains to um, their reproduction. And so you just can't have that flip-flopping all over the place, um, you know, every two years, every four years or whenever. Um, there has to be some consistency in, in that legislation. And it may very well be if you live, for example, in a Republican-controlled state that has been a Republican-controlled state for years and years and years and years and years, um, then it may be that the legislation won't ever change or it won't change for a long, a long time. Um, and so, you know, that's like the first, like right off the bat, that, that's the first thing in, in, my, in my opinion. Um, and secondly, depending upon your socioeconomic status, traveling to a state that does protect abortion and does provide legal regulated procedures could be, you know, prohibitive for a lot of different reasons, right? Um, because what we have here is that some, um, you know, traveling to another state to have a procedure, there is uh, the cost. There's the cost of the procedure, the cost of the travel, and then there's the cost of the recovery, Right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of women, particularly women who work, may not be able to take the time away to go and do all of that because they may have other obligations at home, other children, um, other children, you know, work, all kinds of things. Right. That, that these women may be responsible for. And so it, by limiting that access, uh, you know, you really are putting this procedure into a class warfare uh, type situation, which is not fair to any woman, right? Um, because then it becomes an issue of privilege. Now, there are several arguments against abortion, right? And so we'll just tackle a few of them because, you know, we are constrained by time. Um, and so the one that I've heard the most is that some people believe that life begins at conception. And again, I am not here to argue if it does or if it doesn't. So there are two approaches to when life truly begins, right? So there is from the minute the sperm and the egg get together, the cells start to form and split, and eventually it's going to become a baby. That is when life begins. And then there is the argument of viability, right? Because that one week old pregnancy cannot survive outside of the mother, right? But once the pregnancy progresses, uh, you know, you get to a point where what we call the baby or the fetus is viable, meaning that it could live outside of the mother. Right. So, you know, you have heard about, um, you know, about viability when we talk about premature births. Right. Because at a certain point, if a baby is born early, too early, it will most certainly die. And then there is another point, And it's a very, very um, grayish area um, as to where a baby could be born and could be born and born early. The baby could survive, but would need, you know, significant medical support to get it to a point where, you know, it could be the health of that child could be restored. Right. So those are the two competing definitions um, here 
when we talk about when life begins, right? So saying that life begins at the time of conception does not take into consideration, um, and I'm sorry, saying that life begins at the time of conception and therefore should be protected does not take into account of how that conception occurs. So, you know, it makes the assumption that there is a loving relationship between a man and a woman that brought forth this life. And that is great. That's a beautiful vision. But we all know that that is not always the case. And, you know, I, in my 20 some years um, of working in, in medicine, I have had the unfortunate experience of meeting people, meeting women, meeting young girls um, as young as 10, 11 years old who have been sexually assaulted and result, you know, end up pregnant, uh, you know, and coming into the emergency room um, because they are having uh, you know, complications or coming into the emergency room um, only to discover that they are pregnant. And so I have surprised many mothers or new grandmothers, however you want to look at that, um, with the news that, hey, your 11-year-old is pregnant. And then that leads to a lot of discussions as to how this happened. So, you know, there is a, a camp that, you know, again, you know, all life is sacred, all unborn children should be protected, but they do not allow for um, exceptions. So, for example, the exception of rape or incest, right? And so I personally cannot imagine forcing a young child or a woman to carry her attacker's child and give birth to it. Now, whether you give it up for adoption or whatever, um, you know, just having to nurture and give birth and have this, this, this entity growing inside you that you know um, was put there as a result of a crime. Imagine, you know, just for a second, just imagine the psychological impact of forcing a, a woman to do that under those circumstances. Right. So, you know, so there, there's that. It also doesn't take into account, um, you know, the socioeconomic status, because it may be that, you know, this woman may feel that she is overburdened from a financial standpoint or maybe from a, a mental, physical, spiritual standpoint is already overburdened by motherhood. And I say that very gently um, because, you know, I know somebody's going to say motherhood is the greatest thing ever. And for me, it is. It has been. But I also leave space and grace for those who have not, who don't feel that way because those people exist, right? Um, it also doesn't take into account the potential danger to the mother's life because, you know, of course, we all want to think about um, giving birth and, and becoming a mother as this seamless, gorgeous process that happens. But being pregnant is a very dangerous situation. And it can and it's, it's dangerous for everyone. So if you get through your pregnancy with no complications, you indeed are blessed. 
because there are so many points at which things can go wrong that put the infant's life in danger, the baby's life in danger, that put the mother's life in danger. Uh, and, you know, again, me personally, I just don't, I cannot wrap my mind around forcing someone that when we know that there is something wrong or that when we know that if you continue this pregnancy to this point, you might die. I cannot square that within my conscience to say that I'm going to force a woman to do that. Okay. So it has absolutely nothing to do for me with religion. And, you know, those of you who know me know that I am a Christian person. Okay, so, you know, so there are all of those things. But of course, the main argument should be we should protect the unborn. Right. And to end a pregnancy is a sin. There are a lot of sins out there, people. There are. Right. And I'm not encouraging you to participate in any of them, but you do because you're human. We all do. Right. And so, you know, the sin of blasphemy. Uh, the sin of drunkenness, the sin of jealousy, just to name a few, right? Um, and those are just, you know, just off the top when I was writing this show, these are just the ones that just came to, to mind, right? So, you know, these arguments would have you believe that there's like a hierarchy of sin, that some sin is better than other. But now, you know, I'm no theologian. Let me just say that. But as I understand it, that is not quite how it works. You can't just say that some sins are okay and some sins are not because that's that's just not how how it goes. There is the concern and the argument that people would use abortion as a form of birth control. Well, there is a solution to that. Allow access to birth control. Allow education around um, being reproductively in control of yourself and how you and how you do that right because there are um, some jurisdictions in our great nation that don't want the schools to educate children about sex that don't want to educate children about how to prevent pregnancy and how to prevent disease that is associated with sexual activity because they may feel that uh, educating children about these topics will encourage them to participate in sex. Now, sex has been around since the beginning of time. It is how we all got here. And I know you're just kind of grossed out by that thought, but it's true, right? Um, you know, it's how, it's, it's how life perpetuates itself. And so if we don't, and, and we all have been teenagers, right? And so I'm not going to tell any of my business and I'm not going to tell any of yours. I'm going to leave that topic right there. But we've all been there, right? And so you know that teenagers, unfortunately, with their advancing bodies and brains that aren't keeping up as, as quickly, um, that, you know, they take risks and sometimes that risk is with sexual behavior. So, you know, we are sending our children out into the world and not arming them with everything that they need under the guise of trying to protect them from the very thing that they need, you know, that they're participating in. 
And the latest argument is that abortion isn't mentioned in the Constitution, and that is a part of, of Justice Alito's um, argument, that it isn't mentioned in the Constitution, and therefore it cannot be protected by the Constitution. <laughs> um, a few things here. So Roe versus Wade was argued um, not on the merits of the procedure itself, but that protection, protecting abortion was, or not protecting abortion was a violation of a woman's right to privacy, right? And so privacy is a part of the Constitution. It is protected by the Fourth Amendment um, as it pertains to, you know, illegal search, seizure, that kind of thing. But it's still privacy and you can extrapolate all kinds of um, things that privacy would fall under. So that is mentioned and that was the initial argument of Roe v. Wade. And so also, you know, if you're going to make the argument that um, things that are not mentioned in the Constitution that was written several hundred years ago before a lot of stuff even existed, um, that you can extrapolate that in dangerous ways, in my opinion, right? So you could say that interracial marriage should not be protected not mentioned in the Constitution, um, that black Americans are not counted as people because that is not mentioned in the Constitution. And as a matter of fact, I remember a little something about three-fifths. So you didn't even count, black men didn't even count as a whole person in the Constitution and black women didn't count at all because they're not mentioned, right? Um, and so you could make the, the extrapolation that Black people, according to the Constitution, aren't whole people and therefore do not have rights. You could also say that women don't have rights. So, you know, the right to vote, which is a part of the Constitution, but not the original draft, right? Um, you know, that was added in one of the later amendments. And so you can see how this argument, again, in my opinion, represents a slippery slope that would gradually erode other rights. And this is where I really want to, to encourage people to really truly pay attention to the arguments that are made um, against protecting, protecting abortion. Because it not, is not necessarily about the procedure in and of itself, right? It, because a lot of people, I think, will say, you know, I'm of a certain age, you know, all of my children are grown, I don't care about abortion. But you should care about the legislation piece of this because, again, and, and as we see with gerrymandering and that kind of thing, voting rights have been eroded legally. OK, so we have to pay attention to these these issues when they come up and, and ask ourselves, why is this really an issue? OK, so here we go. Striking down and I'm going to leave you all with a little bit of truth here. Striking down Roe versus Wade will not end abortion. And if you have been paying attention to my words, I have said it would end the safe, legal, and protected right of abortion. Because abortions were happening for decades before 1973. And if you are old enough to have known about these illegal practices, or if you are a student of history, or if you are in healthcare, because unfortunately I have 
taking care of people who have been on the on the end of an illegal abortion that was not performed in a safe way right that stuff does still happen okay as opposed to having it regulated where you know you know people are adequately trained and educated as to how to do this safely right because if you find yourself pregnant and you find yourself not wanting to continue with the pregnancy I personally don't think you should have to pay for your pay for that decision with your life but again ending access to safe and protected procedures such as abortion will force women to make that to make that choice so illegal abortions happened before they continue to happen they don't happen as often in the united states but they still do happen um but it is more so something that you see in the developing world where these poorly skilled poorly educated quote-unquote practitioners um, are, are performing these procedures and the results can be catastrophic uh, so about 20 million pregnancies are terminated under unsafe conditions around the world every year and the consequences just to name a few the uh, consequence of maternal death so you can have someone who has one of these unsafe procedures and they die I, I think that's too high, high a price to pay in my opinion about 68,000 women worldwide die as a result of an unsafe, unregulated abortion procedure. Too many. Um, people can, women can become very sick uh, through infection and infe a very severe infection type of infection called sepsis, right? Where, you know, bacteria invades into the blood instead of being locally wherever it starts, it spreads all over the place and can have devastating effects. Death most commonly is, is of course, um, the most serious. You can have uterine and colonic perforation. So some of these rude instruments that people are using to perform these procedures, and I'll just name a few, clothes hangers, uh, knitting needles um, are the two that come to mind. They punch holes in the uterus and can punch holes in the colon because all of that is right all in proximity um, together from an anatomical standpoint. And that can lead to devastating um, effects on the body and, and making a woman tremendously sick. Um, uterine necrosis. So, you know, the tissue inside the uterus can become unhealthy. And so should this woman want to make a decision down the line um, in some years that now she is ready to become a mother and to start, then, you know, she can't because her uterus has been injured um, to an irretrievable and unrecoverable extent. The outside of the uterus consequences, renal failure, um, you know, of course, hysterectomy, because if you have butchered the uterus to the point, you know, to a certain point, it has to be removed. Um, it can't be salvaged. Uh, and then, of course, there's infertility. And, you know, again, when you are using unsafe practices, um, you know, you are using unclean practices and toxic shock, which leads to sepsis, which can lead to death. Um, is a, a consequence. So now, lastly, there is a lot of chest beating about protecting the unborn. But what about the children that are already here? So yeah, we want you to be born, but once you get here, you're on your own. 
In 2019, a child or teen was killed by gun violence every two hours and 36 minutes. For every child or teen fatally shot, five will suffer a non-fatal gunshot wound. And I'll give you just one guess as to which race of children are more adversely affected by gun violence. Time's up. Black children had the highest gun death rate in 2019 with 12 deaths per 100,000 of the population. Black children are 14% of all children, yet they encompass 43% of gun deaths in children. Black children are four times more likely to be killed by guns with boys wholly outnumbering girls in that statistic. In 2018, 4.3 million children did not have adequate health coverage. 13 million children live in food insecure homes. 12 million children in these United States live in poverty. So, you know, it's easy to say that you want to protect the unborn, but what are you doing for them once they are here? Because I am not hearing legislation that protects those who don't have many resources. Okay, so just just putting it out there. And I'll also ask one last thing before we go. Now, it's been a, a minute since I've taken biology as a course. But as I recall, making a child, making a baby, creating a life, an unborn, requires a sperm and an egg, right? Sperm will come from the man, egg will come from the woman. And a life, they get together, bing, bang, boom, a life is created, it's magical, it's beautiful. But where is all of the regulation of, of, of the, the sperm part of all of this? Because, you know, there's a lot of conversation about controlling women's bodies and what they do and what they can do. But there has not been one iota of conversation about controlling the men. Hmm. I'm going to leave that right there. And we are just out of time. I thank you all so very much for joining me on my favorite hour of the week. I hope that this has been an informative session for you. I have enjoyed presenting it, presenting it to you. And so I'm not going to have, we don't have time for a vitamin C, but I will say, um, before I leave, I want to say happy uh, Teachers Appreciation Week for all our educators out there. Um, of course, you know, I love teachers and I will say till the day I don't have breath that you cannot be anything without a good teacher. And I also will say a happy Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. Mother's Day is Sunday. So if you have forgotten that, you still have time to get your mother something lovely. And I hope that all of the mothers out there have a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day weekend. So until we meet again, hopefully next week at this hour, be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth 
conversation. Have a great week. Bye.